0: Paramedic 43, District 1, Engine 51, Response, Cardiac Arrest. Hello, everybody. Welcome again to another edition of the MCHD Paramedic Podcast. This is Dr. Casey Patrick, and joining me today is my regular guest, our medical director, Rob Dixon. Good afternoon, Casey. And I guess I'll tell on myself to start. Admittedly, I'm on Twitter too much. That's my only social media advice. I'm not a Facebook person or an Instagram person. I'm a Twitter lurker. I don't really like to put terribly personal things out there. I just like to watch what other folks are doing. And and some of this is, is medicine related. I do think that while social media can be a, a tool for brain rot, I have gotten a lot of great ideas and, and seen some really excellent teaching uh, from social media. And This one was one that wasn't exactly, obviously, an EMS thing. I've seen some great EMS stuff on there, Um, but this one was one that sort of, I don't know, maybe hit me unexpectedly. This comes from a physical therapy, a PT podcast called Adaptabilia, and the PT folks that host it are awesome. They did a great job. Episode 19 is titled, Teaching More About Less, Preparing Clinicians for for practice. Their guests are a couple internists named Juan Lessing and Reed Pierce. They're hospitalists. They work in the hospital. They're educators out in Colorado. And now you're like, what is this guy talking about? This is the MCHD paramedic podcast, right? We're talking about a PT podcast and some internists. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but bear with me. Um, They just published a paper, uh, Pierce and Lessing did, with the same title, Teaching More About Less, Preparing Clinicians for Practice. And I'm not really even sure why that I decided to listen to it. Looking back, I can't really remember, but there was... Oh, so I know why, doctor. Probably because <laughs> I'm... Uh, go ahead and you can say it. <laughs> because you're a geek. There you go. And now there was something in the in the Twitter string or something that someone else had, had thought it was useful. Sure. I, I'm not really sure, but there were so many moments in there where I was like, that's EMS. Oh, that's EMS. That's emergency medicine. That's emergency care. That's EMS. And so we'll link the podcast in the show notes. I would urge you to take a listen. I think they're, especially if you're an EMS educator, but really for you know paramedics, emergency nurses, emergency physicians, it really sort of realign my focus for me personally in my own clinical practice and also the things that we decide to teach, how we ask questions within the service when it comes to credentialing, a really valuable, valuable podcast.
1: See, when, I, when Casey first brought this up to me, I thought it was crazy, but then I listened to the little intro that you guys just listened to, and it, it really to me looked a lot like, this is this it's kind of the serial killers, right? Instead of teaching, you know, why do we start or Casey start with developing the serial killer series, and it's because in medical education we learned all these random diseases, but people call with a complaint. And really sorting through the top killers of that complaint for emergency providers is the most important to start from there and work backward to the disease rather than the other way. And so I think the, to me, it sounded very, very similar to me in in tone of the way we train providers and the way we were trained.
0: Yeah, And they're really they're speaking also to, to educators and their point was really valid. I know you experienced this. I know we struggle with this here at MCHD. You know, as the people who write the tests and review the tests and review credentialing, it's really hard to write good test questions, and it's hard to separate folks from a credentialing standpoint based on written tests. That's an entire discipline that I'm not an expert in. But going through medical training, I remember being on rounds. I remember taking step one and step two and step three of the board exams, and it was just a common habit for the higher performers to know more rare things the longer named diseases the ones that you only saw in western Bangladesh and if you had that knowledge then you were celebrated
1: right so when we lecture the residents I'd say in every lecture Casey and I have given maybe there's a couple of exceptions but not many I usually point out one thing to the residents and say you probably don't need to know to do this, except for this will show up on a board exam. Like it's on every board exam I've ever taken, and all my re-exams I've taken, like Beck's Triad or something like. Not so important clinically. It's under. It's important to understand the concept, but. It will be on the test.
0: Even even more obscure, you know, we think about, you mentioned it before we started. Malignant hyperthermia. <laughs> yeah, or, or things like, you know, Chagas disease with chest pain. That's in the list of things, of the hundred things that are on the list. But why are we wasting brain space on this? And even in the pop culture references, you know, you think about your, your favorite doctor on TV, Dr. House, you know, he finds all these rare things that, never exists. Spoiler alert, if you've not watched the show, that stuff's not real. And also, you can go ahead with your aside here. I don't know why
1: his patients don't slap him right in the face. I'm sorry, actor. I know it's TV and it's made up, but real physicians shouldn't behave like that and treat their patients like that. Uh, Seems uh, way outside. It's not one. I watched it for like two seconds and turned off. I was like, that guy's a jerk. I'm not listening to this.
0: So in the end, The point of the gist and and what they, uh, you know, sum up in the last sentence of their intro is pretty golden. To to prepare learners for practice, frontline teachers should develop skill sets that highlight and celebrate common diseases and signal that clinical excellence is grounded in mastering variations of the common conditions, which to me risks saying, well, you're just dumbing it down. And the answer is No. We want to concentrate and focus where our mental resources and our mental gymnastics should be guided. And we shouldn't spend 30% of our time reviewing organophosphate poisoning, one of my favorite rare things that we focus much too much time on relative to how many times we see it. We should probably be, in our world, in EMS, focusing more on pit crew CPR or another common disease where there's always room for improvement. So they, but, su- they suggest, you know, enthusiasm when caring and treating common conditions. And that's one that I see in my emergency department partners. I see in paramedics. I think one of the, the common ones in the emergency department that I see in folks that have been in practice for some time is the sort of waning of enthusiasm for EKG interpretation. I think that's really common especially with developments in EKG interpretation and, and where the the science can move. If you think about occlusion MI paradigm and looking for DeWinter's T waves or concentrating on hyper T waves or thinking about a shark fin pattern, you and I didn't learn those in residency. They didn't exist. That, w- that wasn't, I mean, hyper-acute T waves were maybe a thought, but I didn't know those. I've learned those by keeping up after training. And if, You take a common disease and you learn STEMI recognition really well in 2010 if you're a a 12 or 13 year paramedic and you don't revisit the finer points and the variations and the progression of the medical science in that realm, you get out of date pretty quick.
1: And a very common disease that we deal with all the time. And like many EMS, you know, color for me, I think about CPR, right? We are the experts in CPR. At a hospital, cardiac arrest is a fairly common disease, a fairly common run here at MCHD, and we should have enthusiasm for not only teaching it, but, you know, practicing it with our crews, a high-quality pit crew CPR, right? That's really, you know, we, we've we talked ad nauseum uh, in the office about different devices and different ways that we can improve our care, but really a lot of that is focused. How can we train better to perform better at these things, like crew CPR like resuscitation like setting up a safety bundle for DSI part of it is the way not just a device but really the way you train and think about these things and students and and teachers alike should encourage reps in the most common things like DSI like sedation you said something brilliant here last week we were lecturing in uh, Austin that you know Sedation is not only a high risk, but it's also high frequency. We train ad nauseum for DSI, and it's fairly low frequency for most providers. They're going to depends on what truck you're on, but you're going to do a few a year, right? But sedations are almost a weekly event for most providers, and quite high risk. Different different podcast, but. Another common thing that we have talked about a ton this year, sedation management.
0: And they talked about in in the podcast and in the paper, they talked about treating COPD and pneumonia with joy and expertise. And what I would say to that is the approach matters. Our attitude as teachers matter. In other words, you've been on medicine rounds before and you've got a pneumonia patient and everybody's like, well, it's another pneumonia. Here's the antibiotics. Let's move on to the next one because it's boring and it's a run-of-the-mill patient, sometimes I feel like CPR can fall into that rabbit hole uh, sedation for sure. Like, oh, we've got another agitated patient. Let's, you know, we've got to, we've got to stay to and get to the hospital. Well, no, let's think about the pharmacology. Let's think about the safety net. Let's think about the variations that could occur here. How could this go wrong? Yeah, how do you implement those
1: kind of teaching habits, though, Casey? What are some tips for providers out there and educators out there to implement those habits that they want to see in their crews?
0: They talked about moving to the margins of the common diseases. In other words, not just the textbook, but some of the clinical, uh, logistical, logical factors that can come into to play, and not just wrap up your mastery. In other words, if you feel like you know asthma and you feel like you've demonstrated mastery, don't move on to a rarer presentation. Test the edges of that rather than just knowing the textbook for it. So in MI, it would
1: be those non-occlusive MI presentations, occlusive versus
0: non-occlusive and all those we STEMI mimics. It would be STEMI mimics, but you you can't Moved. I see sometimes the opposite happen where medics and emergency physicians and residents and learners will move to SCARBOSA criteria before they have a clear anatomical picture of EKG anatomy. You can't do that, but if you have a solid focus and you have a solid base for your EKG anatomy and you've mastered the STEMI paradigm, which is still the foundation that most of us work with, when you have that, then you can move into the edges, and that's the, the developing pieces to occlusion in my puzzle, whether that's the winters or hyperacute t wave shark fins, T-wave inversion and AVL, those sort and of I things. And I misspoke.
1: Not Mimics, guys. Those would be chameleons. They actually are something really bad that's posing as something not yeah, so bad. Or equivalents, yeah. Equivalents.
0: Yeah. So test the variations, look for multiple presentations, or tools that you have to continue to solidify your diagnosis. In other words, if you're talking about asthma, you know, think about your physical exam. Think about your history. Think about your entitle waveform. Think about the response to therapy. Don't just run that call as okay, it's asthma, I recognize it. This is run of the mill. Watch closely at your entitle as you take the patient into the hospital. Does it improve? Does the shark fin flatten? And that's when you can recognize wait a minute, the heart rate's going up, the SATs are going down, the waveform's not responding at all. Maybe this is a foreign body in a pediatric patient. Maybe it's not asthma that's causing the child to wheeze. So if you're taking those extra steps to look at the response to therapy and the edges of asthma diagnosis or the edges of occlusion MI diagnosis, you can recognize where maybe it's not responding as it should, and that should be key that Maybe you need to look for something else. What do you do with the rare diseases, though? Well, do you do you still teach those? I mean, I don't think you ignore them. You can't ignore them, but they can't be 80% of our educational focus. If they're rare, they should have an appropriately designated amount of lecture time.
1: Right. Like you just said earlier, right? Deep knowledge of the common presentations, the one you just described in asthma, then we know how they should respond, and we recognize when they don't. We can keep looking. So I think it's probably more important. What you're saying is, know asthma so well that when it doesn't respond or something's out of order, then you start moving down the track to: is this a PE? Is this, you know, some type of atypical cardiac ischemia? Is this something else? Yeah, there's this a couple pericarditis or some type of pericardial issue.
0: There's a couple points there that I that they talked about that were that were really impactful for me. And number one, that is highlighting the base rate of rare diseases. So when we talk about things like Chagas disease, well, how often does that occur? And when you really know the base rate of some of these things relative to the base rate of STEMI or pericarditis or even PE, and you see the wild variation there, that helps to put that into perspective. And then, like you said, knowing the common front to back lets you know the rare when it comes and in the end this helps us in clinical practice because you may say well how does this help us it helps us concentrate less on diagnostics and more on the patient so what you're watching is is this patient responding and are they acting walking talking sounding and smelling like coronary occlusion or is there something else going on here and so you still need a differential. Everything that's chest pain is not coronary disease. You still need your five serial killers, and they can be whatever you want. Here at MCHD, you've got dissection and PE, acute MI, pneumothorax, pericardial tamponade, Borhoffs, for sure. That's in your consideration if the patient's been retching. It's not on our 5 That would be probably seven or eight for me, but I don't have Chagas disease anywhere in my piece of chest pain. I seems
1: like that would be an inpatient diagnosis yeah, to me. It's kind of like complex sure. migraine.
0: So they also, when you put the focus off of diagnosis and onto the patient, we don't, what it allows you to do is not get fixated on when you don't know the diagnosis. And this is one that we see all the time in run reviews. Paramedic, I see it in the emergency department, emergency physician. This is not unique to EMS. When some providers don't know what's going on, The worst response can be to throw your hands up and do what? Do nothing. And so if you're concentrating less on a diagnosis and less on diagnostics, where do you focus? You focus on the patient. So where can you focus from a treatment standpoint? You can focus on resuscitation. doesn't matter if you know what it is at time zero. You can use your resuscitation to help guide your diagnostic process. And that seems like a duh statement, but I'm not sure that we always do that. So... You know, it's like NEBS in acute pulmonary edema. You know, you put somebody on NEBS and they don't respond, you probably should be thinking about another diagnosis in acute pulmonary edema. Pneumothorax, PE, should come into your brain. We use tons of NEBS in EMS. But NEBS should work pretty quickly. And if they don't, you need to go back to your objectives and go back to your patient and think about, well, is it one of those other five shortness of breath serial killers, for example? and that really is sort of the gist of of the podcast and of the paper. These really are two things that, you know, take a listen. It's a well-done podcast. Kudos to the to the folks that that put it together and presented it. The the two internists that wrote the paper, really I think an excellent concept that is a journal article, I admit, but it's one that anyone can take back, especially us educators, and think about what are we presenting to our learners? Are we giving them a sense of enthusiasm and joy for treating common things and being experts in treating common things and being the experts of the things that we treat in our field, or are we concentrating on Chagas and organophosphates? And not that those things aren't important, but they need to be in the appropriate proportion. the uh, The other thing in the podcast, it really doesn't apply because they go off into some other discussion that doesn't apply a hundred percent to EMS. But towards the end, they they busted out a quote one of the one of the physicians on there, and it's one of those when I heard it, I wish that I'd come up with it. I don't have tattoos, but this might be one that I would uh, wear permanently. I always think when folks around me get tattoos that I don't know if I believe in anything enough to put it on my body. I think I'd change my mind in some <laughs> future date and then wish I didn't have it on there. But this one is, is really an excellent sort of spin on a common theme that we talk about. We talk about knowledge and textbook knowledge and that you gain wisdom from experience. You ever heard that? I've heard that a million times over and I've said it myself and they put a little spin. They said, wisdom, isn't the result of experience alone. It's the result of reflection on experience. And when they said that, I was like, Oh, that's, that's killer. hundred percent. That just fits with what
1: we were doing 30 minutes ago with one of our medics, right? We were reflecting on a difficult case that this uh, provider had and I think he's going to gain a lot of insight. I think we all gain a lot from those interactions, both on the educator side and on, on the person that, that has a concern about the case.
0: Yeah, and I, it's, it's it goes to remind us that just because we have 15, 20 years in EMS or in emergency medicine, that doesn't give us wisdom. That just gives us experience. We want knowledge and wisdom. And to get the true wisdom, we have to be willing to look at ourselves in the mirror look at our practice patterns in the mirror, look at our tough cases in the mirror, look at our knowledge base in the mirror, and is it up to date? Uh, The reflection on ourselves and on our patient care is key in that sentence and not really related to teaching the common, just sort of what we do in general, and I thought that was really really valuable. I will
1: check Dr. Patrick at regular intervals for new tattoos and update the cast uh, crew.
0: No ink yet. (laughs) At this point, I think it's probably become, I don't know, it's – too common for it to be cool now, so I think I'm probably gonna have to find some other way to be to be uh, uh, appropriately uh, out there. Um, you know, EMS commons. What are some other EMS commons? You mentioned some of these. Yeah, you know, recess bundle. 100%. Chemical, trauma- chemical trauma restraint.
1: Scene, trauma scene. We talked about today, right? There's lots of moving pieces, and there's lots of competing priorities, right? There's time on scene, and there's how much do you stabilize, right? We know hypoxia. Hypotension is bad for brain injured patients and trauma, but, you know, you have lots of competing things thrown at you. We should be
0: experts at helping people set up a framework to sort through those complex tasks. Chemical restraint, you mentioned those. Those are definitely high risk, high frequency. The other group of high risk, high frequency that we value here at MCHD, y'all listen to the podcast, you've heard us talk about high risk refusals and difficult refusals and what those two groups of patients mean. You know, we don't ever want to be the last person that sees someone alive. That's not good form for us as as uh, EMS providers. So those are some of the ones that, if you think about what lectures young medics want to go to, they want to go do needle thoracostomies, and they want to go do DSIs, and they want to defibrillate folks, and they want to give boatloads of atropine to organophosphate poisoning. I want to hammer OGPs until the end of the podcast. But those are rare we need to inspire joy and inspire the need for expertise for some of these things that may fall a little bit under the radar, like refusals and chemical restraint and falls and all yep. these other yeah lift assists that we've talked about before where there's really danger in there, and they're very common, and we are the experts. Lastly, you know, when we talk about reflecting on our calls and looking at ourselves in the mirror, It requires something that we all need to do better at in EMS and all services out there. I can't imagine you've got this one down. If you do, please call us and tell us how you do it. And that's follow-up because the best continuing education, we're in the middle of CE week here at MCHD and we value our CE and we love it, but it's quarterly, you know, it's four times a year. And if you're only reflecting on your practice four times a year, I'd venture to say that's not enough. So we have to put systems within our EMS paradigm to give medics follow-up in a timely manner that's valuable follow-up. Sometimes I see some of this HIE stuff that gets fed back to medics and it's a bunch of ICD-10 codes and you know it's there's no punctuation and it's just a big it looks almost like you know garbage computer code or something and I'm like that's not valuable. What they need to know is did did the patient have what they thought they had? Did the treatments that they provide work or not? Why or why not? And were they on the right track? And so I know you and I agree on this. We've talked about it a million times over years, and that's that's our job as the medical directors is to look at those charts, talk to those medics, have systems in place, quality, and review where we can give them feedback and let them know that, hey, all of us looked at that chart Yeah, that patient had an unfortunate outcome, but the resuscitation bundle was in place. And you did everything you could. Sometimes we take care of sick people that have bad outcomes. So it's easier said than done, but we're always, always trying to think of unique ways and forward-thinking ways to give good, meaningful feedback, not just jumbled gook, but real live. You were on the right track. Your treatment plan was solid. The patient got better. The patient didn't. Here's why we think yes or no that that happened. So let's take it home. All educators, EMS included, need to teach the common, model appropriately, create a sense of enthusiasm, because if we don't do those things, there's no way our learners will follow. Couldn't agree more. You don't like house. I don't. I don't. House is a TV show. It's a TV show. And if you learn one thing from house, it's that concentrating on those one in a million things and being a jerk, you're probably not going to last very long, wherever you're working. At whatever EMS you, service. You're going to be the
1: favorite clinician of every lawyer in America because only jerks get sued or, or the predominant folks that uh, that uh,
0: get on the wrong
1: side of the patient uh, physician or clinician equation are
0: just not nice people. Treatment response, I would I would urge everyone to consider treatment response a diagnostic tool. I, I don't do this enough in my practice. Sometimes we think of the value of a procedure and choosing to do a procedure and that being an action, but there's absolutely action to observation and there's action to reassessment and there's action to observation and reassessment to treatments. That's totally valuable. And in the end, you know, somebody's out there is going to say it. I I get it. I I can understand it. You just want to concentrate on the common easy stuff. You're dumbing things down. And I would say that that's not at all what we're doing. We're striving for true content expertise for the things and the risky things that we see and do every day. And that's not going to be the same things for all the paramedics out there as a neurosurgeon. It's not the same thing for me as an emergency physician as a neurosurgeon. I need to know a little bit about what happens once my patients go see a neurosurgeon, but I'm not one. So sometimes I feel like that's another thing that young learners can do is that they get really interested in cardiology and start acting asking cardiologists questions when they're in emergency medicine residency, or they're in paramedic school. And that's great if that's what you want to do in your spare time. But for your patients, you have to play the role that that you've chosen. And then lastly, I'll just I'll leave on my potential tattoo idea that I'm not going to not going to follow through with. But wisdom isn't the result of experience. It's the result of reflection on experience. And so if we can take that home with us, I think we'll all be better off. Anything you want to add? no that sums it up great cast Casey as always thanks for listening out there if you have feedback for us leave us a like or a review wherever you listen five stars only if you want to suggest a episode we've got some suggestions recently that are actually in process of being recorded so we listen to you when you send us requests and we act on those podcast at mchd-tx.org thank you all as always for listening we'll be back with a new episode soon this podcast was brought to you by the Montgomery County Hospital District, Texas. Production and editing by Andrew Adams. Questions or comments, which are always welcome, could be sent to podcast at mchd-tx.org. Make sure to subscribe above to keep updated to all our future casts. Music, copyright, Kevin McLeod, in Competech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0.